Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Devils Talking Padres. I'm Dominic Stern, joined by Bobby Murphy, and we're joined by our third guest of the show, Kyle Glazer, baseball writer for Baseball America. He's the Padres minor league writer and an MLB beat writer. We'll get to him in a minute. Bobby, how have you been in the past two weeks since we recorded? I've been pretty good. Just been watching a lot of Padres highlights, Padres old games, and trying to cope with this time off. Yeah, I've definitely watched a couple of games they've streamed on Fox Sports San Diego. You know, in my eyes, they're undefeated so far in this regular season, but unfortunately, that that doesn't count. And we'll now get to our guest for the show, Kyle Glazer, Baseball America. Kyle, how have you been lately? Good, good. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, anxiously waiting for sports to come back. Uh, but obviously, there's uh, some bigger concerns going on in the world right now. So just hanging in there, uh, continuing to work here for Baseball America. We're still churning out a lot of uh, good content uh, about what's going on in the baseball world. And, uh, you know, happy to be on with you guys, uh, fellow Arizona State Sun Devils and uh, fellow San Diegans as well. Yes, that, that goes to my next point. Kyle is like the perfect guest for our show, San Diego Padres and Arizona State combined. He fits it perfectly. And so we kind of got to get to the Devils at some point in this show. I was wondering if you had watched any of the Arizona State baseball games this year because they were very good, and if you were familiar with any of the guys that could be draft-ready. Yeah, so I'm our MLB beat writer. We have other people on staff. Uh, Teddy Cahill and Joe Healy are our college writers who we're watching much more closely. Carlos Claus, our draft writer, uh, watching very closely as well. But, you know, when I was out covering spring training uh, before everything got shut down, I did make my way over to a midweek game between ASU and Mexico State because uh, Spencer Torkelson and Nick Gonzalez are two of the top five draft prospects uh, by our rankings here at Baseball America. and just wanted to get a look at both of them. Uh, neither of them saw many pitches to hit that Night. They were both basically being walked, uh, sometimes intentionally and sometimes it was the unintentional, intentional walk. But, um, yeah, so I went out and saw them then and definitely keep, keep an eye on a couple of guys. Uh, you know, Spencer Torkelson obviously is a candidate to go first overall and, uh, they have a lot of other good players who have a chance to go, you know, relatively high in the draft. And just as a, an Arizona State alum, it's, it's fun to see those level of players back at ASU because I was there 2006 to 2010 when, you know, it was Mike Leak and Ike Davis and Brett Wallace and Jason Kipnis and Cole Calhoun and just so many future big impact big leaguers. It was really some incredible teams. Um, obviously, things have been a little leaner recently, so it was nice to see that level of talent back on the field uh, at Arizona State. We're going to move on to the Padres now. I was wondering if you were impressed by any of the prospects for the Padres that performed well in spring training. Yeah, so I actually had uh, other assignments. I was not uh, getting a look at the Potters in spring training. I did not make my way over to Peoria for the week I was there. Um, but just talking to, you know, scouts around the game, um, you know, we at Baseball America are constantly talking and, and keeping, you know, open lines of communication with, you know, evaluators top to bottom. And one of the names that really kept coming up was Edward Olivares, someone that was really impressing a lot of people in camp. Um, you know, I, he was acquired from the Blue Jays in the trade that sent Jan Herbis Salarte to Toronto. And I had first heard his name prior to that trade. He was on the same Lansing team, that's low class A, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And Bogachet and Lost Scouts were also talking about Bichette and Guerrero and how impressive they were. They kept saying, you know, there's this other guy, the center fielder, Edward Olivares, who's pretty good too. Keep an eye on him. 
saw him in Lake Elsinore. He got off to a bit of a slow start, but really finished strong and carried it over into last year at AA Amarillo and talking to scouts who uh, were in Peoria for the little bit spring training was going on this year. He really jumped out to them. Uh, he's always been a really good athlete. Um, sometimes the tools did not translate on the field. Uh, you'd see, you know, average-ish run times. You'd see, you know, some approach issues and just not really getting the most of his tools, but he's been trending up. He's been getting better pretty consistently. And anytime you have a young athletic, you know, outfielder who, you know, can hit and hit for power, that's a really promising combination to start with. And he's really taken himself, um, you know, I've done the Padres prospect handbook now for four years. And he's really taken himself from a guy who, you know, is seen as maybe possibly an extra up and down outfielder to a guy who, you know, might have a chance to get to the major leagues and stay there in, in at least a semi-regular role. Um, he's really, really continued to trend upward. And uh, he really stood out to a lot of evaluators uh, for a little bit of time. Camp was in session this year. And so, Kyle, the Padres obviously have a very great farm system. What Padres prospect do you think has the chance to jump into your top 10? Uh, that's currently outside the top 10. Um, yeah. you know, there's so many, you know, really interesting young guys, you know, obviously, I mean, you look at, you know, number 11, Joey Cantillo, who had an argument to be in the top 10. If someone put them in the Padres top 10, I wouldn't argue that with them. Um, but there's a lot of really talented young guys below, uh, Blake Hunt, the catcher. Uh, he was a second round pick out of modern day high school in Santa Ana a few years ago. And, uh, I had pegged him last year. As a breakout player, uh, he did have that kind of breakout season. Not necessarily, you know, you look at the full stat line uh, that he put up at low class A Fort Wayne, but he consistently hit the ball hard, had some good exit velocities. He swung and missed and really, really infrequently, um, really controlled the zone well and, you know, hit the ball to all fields, just all around, just kind of that, that polished at bat you want to see from a young catcher or young player, period. Um, but especially a young catcher, you know, anytime you put together quality at bats and consistently hit the ball hard, it's a really good place to start. Um, showed you a big arm. He was really reliable defensively. Um, you know, anytime you have a catcher that and he's physical, there's, there's, you know, good approach. There's ability to impact the baseball. There's a plus arm. There's a lot of things to like there. And I think we could very much see him in the top 10 this time next year. Uh, and then Hudson Head, who was uh, the Potter's third round pick last year, but signed for $3 million, which is first round money. Really good athlete. Um, already has, you know, one of the fastest bats in the Potter's organization. Um, but again, there's, there's a lot to develop. He's still very young. He's very lanky. He, uh, still makes some youthful mistakes, uh, both in terms of being too aggressive in the box or, uh, in the outfield on some of his roots. But there's a lot of tools to like there. Left handed hitting, you know, athletic center fielder who can stay at the position. That's a really promising foundation to start with. So, um, those would be the two guys right now. Um, you know, you look at some other guys, Reggie Preciado, who was their top international signing last year, uh, son of a former Yankees minor leaguer, really, really promising for his age and, and pretty physical already, but uh, with some room to grow. So, uh, you know, th those are the main guys. And, and you could even go further down. You know, the strength of this Padres system is not just that, you know, they've got some really good guys at the top. It's exceptionally deep and has been for a couple of years. So there's a lot of guys you could say, yeah, I can see him in the top 30, two or three years from now, which, you know, you can't really say that a lot of organizations, a lot of organizations, you get to ranking the number 22 prospect and you're like, there's nothing else here. At the Padres, you can go 40 deep and be like, yeah, no, this guy has a shot, which is pretty rare.
It's been displayed by them winning a double-A title last year, a triple-A title a couple of years ago, and almost winning a single-A title last year. I believe they lost in the semifinals. And it the depth is definitely there. It's probably the strength of this farm system because they've been able to keep good guys in the top 10 despite graduating several prospects last year. Yeah, I mean, you go back and look at the top 10 last year. You had Fernand Tatis in there. You had Chris Paddock in there. You also had guys like Cal Quantrill, Luis Urias. Uh, a lot of guys who got to the majors, and obviously in the cases of Tatis and Paddock, really showed some some big things um, potentially. Well, big things presently with even more room to progress uh, and really showed you some some pretty high upside potential. Um, you know, even Quantrill had a good season going until he kind of tired at the end a little bit. Luis Urias was starting to turn around. And then Potters moved into shortstop when Tatis got hurt, and that kind of threw things off. And obviously, he was traded this offseason. Um, but yeah, the Potters graduated, I believe it was six of their top 10 players last year. Naylor was in there, Mejia was in there. Um, each of them showed you some good things to work with, especially at the plate. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty rare to have a team graduate um, it, six of their top 10, and, and someone else who was in there was Logan Allen, who they traded. So, you know, seven of your top 10 prospects from a year ago are no longer in your top 10, and to still have a, a consensus top five farm system is, is really impressive and a testament to their depth, no question. Oh, uh, yeah, I just want to talk about Joey Cantello. He had a great season in single A last year. And I'm really excited to see him come up. I know he's still very young. He's only 20, and he's projected to come up in about two to three years. Dom, what do you think about Joey Cantelo, knowing that he's still super young, only in single A, but he has had great season last year? Well, yeah, Cantelo had a very good season. You know, it was in low A, Fort Wayne, so you kind of got to take the numbers with a little bit of grain of salt. You know, the competition isn't always great there, but he was a low-round draft pick. He's kind of used that as a motivation I got the chance to ask him a couple of questions back in like October after the season ended. He seemed like a guy who's extremely motivated and he really wants to prove a lot of people wrong. And having a little chip on their shoulder, like what Chris Paddock has, I feel it could benefit him in the long run. Do you see something like that when you look at Cantillo pitching, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things with him, you know, we talk about the makeup. He's really, really smart. He attacks the strike zone. He understands how to mix his pitches. You know, we see so many guys in the lower levels who just go out there and throw. They have no idea how to pitch. Um, they're just kind of, you know, throwing as hard as they can and hoping one of their secondaries lands for a strike. And um, to be honest, those guys are a dime a dozen. That's why when I hear about a guy throwing 98 in low A, my first question is, okay, is he throwing strikes? Is he is he showing any pitch ability? Because, you know, doesn't matter how hard you throw if you can't put over the plate, and doesn't matter how hard you throw if the batter is able to sit on it. So um, one of the things with Cantillo, you mentioned he was a low-round pick, 16th rounder. It's important to note the Padres gave him a fifth-round level signing bonus, um, $302,000 plus. So, I mean, they did invest a decent amount in him, more than his draft round might suggest. Um, but he's very, very young. He was one of the youngest players who was drafted. And, you know, you see that maturity, that intelligence for him to, you know, be as successful as he was. I mean, he led the low class A Midwest League in ERA last year until he got promoted to Lake Elsinore and, you know, did okay up there. Uh, he led the entire organization in strikeouts last year. And that's saying something in an organization with a lot of good arms. Um, again, you see a guy who is, is mature beyond his years and that's allowed him to rise faster than a lot of people already. Again, he was, you know, 19 years or 20 years old all of last season and finished in low class or high class A Lake Elsinore. 
Uh, he's got a chance to, you know, well, before the season was shortened, you know, you could see, yeah, this guy could be in double A, you know, um, at a very young age this year. Obviously, the, the shortened season is going to, you know, change that. But there, there's a lot to like there. Um, he's, he's still young. He's still growing into his body. And as long as the fastball velocity continues to tick up, as we saw happen last year, um, there's a very good chance this could be a real solid, you know, mid to back the rotation type starter, probably back, but, you know, never underestimate young left-handers with three pitches who throw strikes and know how to pitch. They would not be a shock if he, you know, pitches above that at some point in his career. Another prospect that really hasn't made a lot of jumps above that low A mark, Anderson Espinosa, mostly because he hasn't pitched since 2017. It's three years. How do you guys still view Anderson Espinosa, given that he has that insane stuff He's still young, but he hasn't pitched in three years, hasn't shown us what he can do now. He actually hasn't pitched since 2016. So this will be his four. If he does not pitch in 2020, and again, he was supposed to be coming back theoretically at some point this year from his second Tommy John surgery. Um, but obviously with the season up in the air and, you know, not really knowing where he's at with that. This could be the fourth straight season he doesn't pitch. And we've looked back at this. Um, we cannot find an example of a player who took four years off of game action, four seasons off of game action for any reason. Injury, um, you know, walking away and coming back, you know, a, a prospect, um, you know, getting back to the majors from that, get reaching the majors from that. So at this point, it, it is just a wild card. And honestly, anything you get from him is a bonus. Um, you know, you mentioned stuff, you know, we haven't seen that stuff since 2016. He hasn't shown he has that stuff or can throw that stuff and stay healthy while doing so. Um, you know, you can have all the stuff you want. If you can't stay on the mound, it doesn't matter. So, um, you know, he's, 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 you know, still young. He's, you know, going to be 20, he's 22. I uh, he turned 22 in March. Um, but again, just given the injuries, you know, the, the, the loop of this way. The list of pitchers whose careers were ended by injury is a heck of a lot longer than the list of pitchers who missed four seasons and ended up going on to any kind of extended major league career. Um, you wish the best for him. He's, he's a great kid. He's had a, he has, he's shown us a great arm and, and obviously you want him to succeed. But when you kind of take a step back and take the emotion out of it, just look at the cold hard facts. At this point, anything the Padres get from him is going to be a, a, a bonus. Um, I don't think you can expect anything from him at this point just because of, of his health and his arm and the type of layoff we're talking about and how unprecedented it would be for him to, to rise to the majors and have a lengthy career. At this point, even if he gets to the majors for one game, that would count as a huge victory. And it's certainly possible. It's, it's not impossible. It's just, Again, history tells us it's extraordinarily unlikely as talented as he is and as great of a kid as he is. You know, then that's sad. You want talented, great kids to succeed, but injuries, you know, often have other plans, especially for pitchers. And it's sad, but it's the reality of baseball. And going on to another Potter's top prospect, Taylor Trammell, who we acquired in the Reyes and Logan Allen trade back in July. So he's only 22 and he had a great spring training. When do you think he can make his debut? Well, again, the hope was, you know, best case scenario, he goes out, starts this year in AAA, puts up big numbers, especially playing in El Paso and the PCL, and then, you know, potentially gets a call up as soon as injuries hit. Um, that was best case scenario, but 
obviously with the season being delayed significantly, I mean, we're talking into, you know, June at the earliest, July is probably more realistic as the earliest. Um, you know, it's going to be tough for any, you know, minor leaguer who normally, okay, has, you know, a good April and May and then gets his call up, you know, late May. We see that a lot. Well, those two months to build in the minors now, theoretically, the team, you know, now we're talking the season could be in September and, you know, the pennant race. So not a lot of time to get acclimated. Um, I think because of this delay, what's more likely is a 2021 debut. Um, but again, so much is up in the air here. We have to see how things kind of develop. You know, it, it's April. There's still a long way to go before this is resolved. So, um, it's going to be more about that than anything he does individually. And Dom and I have talked in the past about, uh, possibly having extended rosters when the season does resume. If it is like double headers, multiple games, a lot of games in a week that the rosters could be expanded. So we've been talking, hoping that if that does happen, then Tramiel could come up quicker if he's ready. Uh, potentially, but again, a lot of times, you know, with the expanded rosters, you know, teams will use that for pitchers. Um, you know, one of the things that I wrote about at VA was the last time that the spring training was altered and the season was delayed was uh, 1995, a carryover from the strike that began in 1994. What they did then was they had an abbreviated three-week spring training, and then for the first three weeks of the season – they allowed three additional players on major league rosters. And, you know, they're talking about doing something similar here. So 26 to 29, you get an extra guy for double headers. Maybe that's a 30 man roster for those first three weeks of the season or so. Um, but a lot of times we see teams use those, you know, use pitchers for that. And then if say, you know, it's two pitchers and then the third guy, you know, more often than not, you're going to use a utility guy, a guy who can play multiple positions. Um, so that's where I think Trammell, his call-up would be more dependent on injuries, which, again, always happen. Teams cycle through outfielders, you know, year after year. Um, so I think that would be his most likely path to major league playing time this year, this year is injuries rather than roster expansion. Yeah, you mentioned injuries in the outfield. Franchi Cordero, Will Myers don't exactly have the cleanest slate of injuries, so definitely a possibility that he gets the call-up from that. You never want that, but it's baseball. You know, it's how the game works. Next question is about Andres Munoz. You guys have Munoz as your number seven prospect in the Padres organization. Came up, pitched pretty well last year. A couple of bad outings held his ERA to slightly above a 3.0. How do you view him now that he just had Tommy John surgery? Yeah, I mean, we did this ranking before uh, Tommy John. And if you, you go back and read the Baseball Prospect uh, America, uh, excuse me, the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, um, you know, we mentioned this, that, you know, there is real, real health question marks here. He's already had a platelet-rich plasma injection a few years ago. Um, guys, that young, throwing that hard, Tommy John is a very, very common occurrence. When he was touching 100 at 18 years old, um, you know, you look domestically, internationally, whatever, guys throwing that hard, that young, their elbows blow out with a pretty alarming frequency. So, you know... We ranked him high because we, you know, you see this stuff, you see what he was able to do in the majors at age 20, you see the potential to be an impact end of game arm, uh, you know, most likely potentially even a closer. Um, but you were banking on the health 
you know, being managed and that already hasn't happened. If we were re-ranking this today, given the Tommy John surgery, you know, he would rank lower. Um, 12th is probably the highest he'd go. And I could understand the argument to go into, you know, the late teens just because so much of his success is, is dependent on his elbow and staying healthy. And now that he, you know, has had this surgery, you know, you have to see how the recovery goes. Um, again, I think a lot of people assume Tommy John surgery is no big deal, but it's because we remember the successes. Um, a lot of the data has shown that about one in six players who have it, uh, having already reached the majors, never return to the majors. And the median innings for guys who do is, uh, I think it's around a hundred. So it's a big question mark. Um, again, great arm, amazing talent. Really, really showed what he could do. I mean, as a 20 year old, he struck out almost a third of the batters he faced in the majors. But again, you can have all the stuff you want. If you can't stay on the mound, it doesn't matter. And, um, you know, you just hope for a, a smooth recovery and, and that the stuff comes back because it's, it's special stuff. And back to some minor league pitchers. What makes you rank Ryan Weathers over Joey Cantillo despite their 2019 stats where Cantillo had a much better season? Yeah, that was one of the toughest calls because you're right. I mean, you line them up and Cantillo completely outperformed Weathers. They started at low class A Fort Wayne. Cantillo outperformed him there, got bumped to high class A um, and had consistent, you know, consistently good, solid reports throughout, you know, throughout the year. Um, when you get your BA prospect handbook, you'll notice that we have grades and risks on every player. What the faith in Weathers came from the fact he, he throws harder um, and the quality of all three pitches and it, it's a, considered a little bit better. So people see someone in Weathers that potentially could be more that mid rotation arm, whereas Cantillo, they see more of a back rotation arm. But at the same time, you got to perform. And there was a sense that with Weathers, you know, the ability to perform in the future will be higher than Cantillo's, but there's no question Cantillo outpitched him this year. So we'll see what happens. It was neck and neck. Again, if someone wanted to put Cantillo ahead of Weathers at 10, I um, would not fight them at all. I think just speaking with player development officials in the Padres organization and some scouts outside of it, you know, Weathers uh, dealt with some shoulder fatigue. Um, he, he loves conditioning, get, you know, away from him a, a bit during the year. And there's a sense that, you know, Weathers at his best will be better than Cantillo at his best. But he's higher risk to do that. So that was the reasoning behind that ranking. But, again, I am fully open to the possibility that I'll look back five years from now man, and think, man, I, I made the wrong call there because, look, you got to perform. And Cantillo outperformed Weathers in every way, and uh, that's a tip of the cap to him. Ryan Weathers taken in the 2018 draft with the Padres' first-round draft pick. They have the choice between him and Matthew Libertor, other left-handed pitching prospect. And Libertor made an appearance this uh, this spring for the Cardinals in spring training and has been a little bit better than Weathers thus far in his minor league career. Do you think the Padres might regret not taking Libertor over Weathers? So, you know, Carlos Colazzo, who does an excellent job covering the draft for us at Baseball America, had Matthew Libertor as the best high school prospect, pitcher or hitter, 
uh, in the 2018 draft class and also had him significantly above weather. That was based on our conversations with executives and scouts all around the game. Um, it seemed like it was, you know, consensus 29 of 30 teams preferred Libertor to Weathers. That was at least since we got maybe it was 28 to 30, 27 to 30, whatever it was, it was Libertor over Weathers with a pretty clear uh, separation. The Padres preferred Weathers. Um, they saw him pitch really well. They liked some of the national pitch ability he showed. They liked the bloodlines, which the Padres definitely emphasize. Uh, his father, uh, David Weathers, was a longtime big league reliever. So in that sense, it has not been a surprise to most people that Matthew Libertor to date has been, I'm actually correct, he's been significantly better than Ryan Weathers, um, both in terms of the numbers and what he's shown. And he was really opening some eyes in spring training this year. So, again, I think that it's way too early to state definitively, oh, they made a, a big mistake. You know, and as for people who will point to the fact that Libertor is drafted below Weathers, some of that was because his agent really messed up and, and there was some signability uh, miscommunications there. So, at this point, you know, if you polled, again, 29 of 30 teams, yes, they would take Matthew Libertor over Ryan Weathers. I think that this coming year was going to be very important to see, okay, is Weathers in shape? Because uh, that was an issue with him last year. He put on 20 pounds of bad weight. Um, the Padres openly told him, you need to fix this. If he came back in good shape and stayed healthy and showed us, you know, what he could really do healthy – you know, maybe be more of a discussion, uh, but I, it does seem like before the draft, there was a pretty clear consensus that Libertor was better than Weathers. And all the information we have to date is that Libertor is better than Weathers. Again, these are two, you know, very, very young pitchers with a lot of future ahead of them. And there's still a very much a possibility that that could flip. It's just where things do stand right now today. Michelle Baez, who had 25 appearances with the Padres last year, he only had one start, so he mostly came out of the bullpen. So he is Baseball America's Padres number eight prospect. Do you still view Michelle Baez as a starting pitcher, despite his solid performance as a reliever last season? I think that there is a chance he is a starter. I think the most likely outcome is he's a reliever um, for a number of reasons. Um, and we saw it even in the majors. You know, doesn't the breaking balls just stalled? Uh, I remember going out and seeing him in Lake Elsinore, and there was a lot of buzz about him based on what he did in Fort Wayne the previous year. You know, the fastball when it's right is is a really good pitch. His changeup is is pretty solid as well. But both the slider and curveball, I mean, they're not they're, they're below you know, fringy to below average pitches, which doesn't really cut it as a big league starter. You've got to have at least something that's, you know, a decent big league level, you know, average breaking ball. Um, and his have just stalled. Now, again, he's very young. There have been a lot of guys who have made an adjustment later on in their career, you know, so you don't want to say never, but the combination of, of the lack of an, of an effective breaking ball that you would need to start at the major league level and be consistent enough to turn in, you know, 28, 30, 32 starts every year, combined with the fact that he's missed the start of every season since he signed with an injury uh, to either his back or shoulder, it just points to a bullpen future. Um, health, you know, lack of reliable breaking ball, you know, control can be 
scattered. Uh, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of six foot eight right handers who are successful big league starters. Most of them is kind of six six is where they top out. There's the occasional six seven, but you know, the six eight, six nine, six ten guys more often than not end up in bullpens just because it's really hard to repeat your mechanics and have the control and command necessary to be a big league starter. Not impossible. There are examples. You know, former Padres all-star Chris Young was famously, uh, you know, six foot ten. But um, just just all those factors really do point to a, a bullpen career. However, an impact one because if you know when he's in the bullpen, the fastball takes up and starts you know touching ninety nine, and you know you have that fastball changeup combination, just go blow it out for an inning, and you know what's the seventh or the eighth, that's still a very valuable player, and that's why even with you know, the bullpen concerns, we still felt like he was one of the Potter's top 10 prospects, you know, big league ready. It's big stuff. He can help in high leverage relief situations. And Lord knows how many games are lost in seventh and eighth innings. Um, you know, having that guy to get you there is hugely valuable to winning games in the majors, which is what the point of prospects are. They're future big leaguers that are going to help you win games in the majors. And he showed he can do that in the bullpen. And, and I think there is, you know, I put it at 80-20 that he ends up having a career as a reliever versus a career as a starter. So it's possible, but it's probably a reliever. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the phrase, if you have a working clock, don't fix it. Pitched well for the Potters out of the bullpen. We seem to have a decent starting pitching staff for whatever the season is. So I, I think that he's best served right now as a relief pitcher. But like you said, 20% chance ends up in the rotation. I like that. So... Next question is more about the Major League roster, since you do cover Major League Baseball as well as covering the Padres farm system. And second base has has been a question mark over the past season now that Tatis seems like he's the shortstop of the future, does have some injury concerns, so we can't be super sure about it. But with guys like Profar, the Major League level, along with Brian Dozier and Greg Garcia, and then middle infield prospects like C.J. Abrams and Gabriel Arias, how do you see the second base position filling out over the next two to three years? Uh, they're going to need someone to step up. Um, you know, again, Jerkson Profar is a touted prospect long ago. Um, he had a, a decent year in 2018, but he was pretty bad offensively and defensively last year. A lot of mis- you know, a lot of errors. Uh, you know, his kind of had the kind of had the yips, and you know, if you're hitting 218, you know, with you know, decent power, but, you know, not enough to overcome, you know, a low on base percentage and, you know, a lack of defensive reliability. I mean, look, he got benched by a team that actually was in the playoff race. I mean, the A's called up Sheldon Noise at the end of the year to be their second baseman. They did not believe Jerks and Profar could help them. Um, that's a red flag. Um, you know, the Padres, you know, traded some decent prospects to get him. He's going to get the first crack at this. Um, I think that it's tough to say definitively that he's their second baseman of the future. You know, Greg Garcia is best suited as a utility man. Um, Gabriel Arias is a brilliant defensive shortstop, and you're going to continue developing him there in case Tatis's injuries do continue to be an issue. You know, the other options, I mean, Brian Dozier is a veteran signed to a minor league deal. Maybe he comes up and he helps, but it's not a long-term solution. You know, right now, the Padres' long-term solution at second base is probably C.J. Abrams, um, who was, you know, drafted out of high school last year. And even if he is one of these super studs who races up to the majors, it's still two to three years away. So I think for the Padres, you know, 
whether Luis Urias needed a change of scenery, which, which, you know, was a view espoused by a couple of individuals, both inside and outside the Padres organization. Um, you know, there, there's was not really a, a ready made option for them immediately. So we're going to have to see, you know, Owen Miller is a good player, is a good hitter. And there's a chance he can, you know, kind of overperform uh, based on his tools. You know, he's steady. He continues to find the barrel and, you know, maybe he ends up like a Mark Loretta type, but most see him as, as a tick lower than that. So we'll see. But but second base is a long term, you know, I should say it's a hole for the Padres. Um, and you just hope that some combination of, of Profar and, you know, maybe Miller, you know, Ty France continues to learn the position. You know, those guys can just hold it down enough to, you know, hit eighth in the order until, you know, CJ Abrams can come up and be ready and be the everyday second baseman. If that happens again, Abrams really, really talented. He's also a teenager who, you know, was in rookie ball last year. And there's a lot of pratfalls. There's a lot of guys who look great in rookie ball and things fall apart in full season ball. Um, you believe in him. We believe in him. We ranked him high. But, you know, it, it, there, there's so much risk involved there that it's hard to state definitively, yes, this is the plan. Uh, and it's going to work. It, it, it's going to take time. And the Padres do need to find a way to fill that two to three year gap and, I think there's a very legitimate argument that the pieces they have in place are not that it's it's not going to be what you want. If you want to be a playoff caliber team, you need a little more. And moving on to the catching situation, we have, so there's switch hitter uh, Mejia, defensive specialist Hedges, and also Luis Torrens is in there as well. And Luis Campusano in the minors. What do you think about the catching situation for the Padres right now? It should be Francisco Mejia's job to lose. I mean, look, Austin Hedges is a brilliant defensive catcher. He's also on pace to be the worst offensive performer to get regular at bats in, in recent baseball history, him and Jeff Mathis. Um, you know, winning teams, go back and look at World Series championship teams. They don't have holes in their lineup. You would rather have an average or above average defensive catcher who's an average to above average hitter than an 80 grade catcher who's a 20 grade Hitter. I mean, Austin Hedges is a 20 grade hitter um, on the 20 to 80 scouting scale, and you just can't have that. So, uh, definitely not starting every day. So, um, look, Francisco Mejia, once he started getting regular playing time the second half of last year, absolutely crushed. Um, you know, really, really promising for, for a young catcher to do what he did. And you want to see the defense continue to progress. Um, it was better last year than it was the year before. It still has room to grow and get better and needs to get better. There's at least trending up. So, you know, Francisco Mejia is the catcher of the Padres future. You know, Austin Hedges is best served as a backup who, you know, catches, you know, helps some of these young pitchers out as needed and, you know, maybe plays twice a week. Um, but you just can't have his bat in the lineup if you want to be a playoff team as the Potters are trying to become. You know, Luis Torrens, you know, he's, he's, he's shown promise, uh, each year. Um, I think there's still a sense he's probably more of a backup than a future everyday guy. So again, this is Mejia's job. And if he makes the strides he needs to make defensively, you know, it will be his job and it will be a really interesting discussion whenever Luis Camposano is ready. Um, you know, those are the two guys in the Padres system that are, you know, everyday caliber catchers, Francisco Mejia and Luis Camposano. Um, but again, they, they're, you know, they're young, you know, Camposano as great as he was at high class A like Elsner last year, you know, it's still hot. It's still a ball. We see a lot of catchers stumble once they get to double A, triple A. Um, 
I believe in him. I think he's a great young player. But again, there's a ton of risk in that profile. High school catcher yet to play above A ball. And his defense needs to get better. But I, I would say I feel better about the Padres' long-term catching situation working out than their long-term second base situation. Interesting. Okay, moving away from Padres baseball, there's been a lot of speculation thrown around the baseball universe, and that's really all we can do now that there is no baseball, about when the season is going to start and how many games can we expect. So you being a credentialized baseball writer for one of the biggest baseball corporations in America, we were wondering what you think about when the season could resume and how many games can we reasonably expect during the regular season? So the best case scenario, absolute best case scenario is that Players can get back to some form of organized team activities, whether that's, you know, spring training at their, at their actual sites, whether they keep them in their local cities, whether they mix and match depending on, you know, where the hot spots are. Um, the best case scenario would be they return to the field for organized activities, uh, around, you know, May 10th, 11th, uh, that week have, you know, theoretically a three week spring training and are playing major league baseball games, you know, June 1st. That is extraordinarily unlikely, um, based on just the fact that, you know, the, the virus, uh, is continuing to spread. Um, it's reaching different cities. This is not something where nationwide this thing has slowed down yet. So because of that, the most realistic, optimistic scenario as of right now, is that we're probably looking at more like July for when actual games begin. And even if that's when games begin, there very well may not be fans in the stands. Um, you know, we've seen various uh, government officials, uh, both California Governor Gavin Newsom, as well as the president, um, make statements indicating that, you know, it'd be more like September before fans can, you know, be, be at games. Um, you know, so I think we're, we're probably looking at best case scenario. Games begin in July. Fans are allowed back in in September. You know, how many games that allows for? You know, if you don't have any off days and you pack in a bunch of double headers, um, you know, and you extend the season so that the regular season goes through the end of October, you know, you, maybe you can get a hundred to 120 summon. But again, this is so, so, so fluid. And what seemed possible on March 5th is very different than what seems possible on April 5th. And what seems possible on April 5th is going to be very different than what seems possible on May 5th. Um, there's just so much that, you know, has yet to be determined. You know, forces completely outside of baseball will determine that. So we will see what happens, but, but the long, the, the short answer is games July, fans September, 100 to 124 games. And that's, that's probably seen as the most realistic, optimistic scenario. There's a lot of other realistic scenarios that are much more pessimistic than that. And through in lieu of all of these events that have been going on, how have you been coping with the time off with no baseball? Yeah. So look, obviously, you know, I'm a professional and we cover the game, um, you know, as professionals, but we do this because we love baseball. I played my whole life. I still play, you know, and, and, you know, that, that love of the game, you, you 
obviously wish it were happening. You know, we, you know, at Baseball America are very fortunate uh, to have so many great subscribers. And, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate that we, you know, still are able to churn out good content for everyone. And um, there's still a lot to be written about with how baseball is dealing with this and the draft coming up and all the changes regarding that, how minor leaguers are being paid, how major leaguers are being paid, how umpires and coaches and scouts are being paid. Um, so we're still actually very, very busy. I, I joked with someone the other day that I actually felt like um, the first week or two after everything was shut down was busier for me than a normal spring training. It's a normal spring training, I go to a game or two, I write about what I see, and then you know the day's done. Whereas this is reporting on you know what's happening league wide with you know so many moving pieces and so many different teams. At least at that point, still you know not sure what they were going to do. So. Um, it's been busy and, you know, we're just, you know, staying safe and, and staying healthy and uh, continue to work and, you know, try to, you know, stay as normal as possible. Although there's nothing normal about this. But, um, you know, like I said, we're very fortunate at BA to, to still have, you know, a lot going on. And obviously we missed the game and wish we were talking about, you know, games being played right now than wondering when or if there will be a season. Um, but we're, we're hanging in there and doing our best to continue providing all the latest and greatest uh, baseball news for, uh, for everyone out there. And so one thing I mentioned on the last podcast we recorded for me to pass time was I've been playing MLB The Show 20. I was wondering if you've picked that game up and if you've played that to help pass the time. So you're going to laugh. I've actually been so busy that I have not gotten on the sticks yet. I... It's on my to-do list. Um, there's just been enough going on with, you know, work and prepping for, you know, just, you know, everything that's still to come. Um, and then obviously, you know, using this time to uh, get some stuff done around the house, some home improvement projects and the like uh, that I, uh, my video game time is not ticked up yet. Like I uh, was looking forward to maybe it would, but I do anticipate uh, getting on the sticks and playing a good amount of MLB the show here, uh, hopefully within the next uh, next week or two. Okay. Any parting notes from you, Kyle? Uh, no, that's it. Just uh, glad to be on with you guys, fellow uh, Arizona State Sun Devils and uh, San Diego natives, and uh, hope you guys are able to, uh, you know, stay healthy and get through this okay. And uh, said so hopefully we'll uh, talk again about actual games being played on the field. Right. Bobby, any notes from you? Kyle, thank you so much for joining on today. We we loved having you on, and go Devils and Padres. Yes, go Devils. Yes, that's going to wrap up Episode 6 of Devils Talking Padres. Thank you to Kyle Glazer, Baseball America, MLB beat writer, and Padres farm system expert. Thank him for coming on. He is a big supporter of East Village Times. He's been on the East Village Times podcast with – our editor, James, several times. So he supports us. We support them. It's a great relationship we have over here. It's going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time.